Hi, everyone. On today's episode, we are going to be talking with Angela Perez. She is an egg donor coordinator with Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions. But before she came to us, she was actually an MA or a medical assistant um, for eight years in the IVF, uh, in the clinic setting as an IVF coordinator. Um, And she helped grow families in that way. She and her husband live in Dallas, um, and she has two daughters, ages 24 and 16, and they definitely still keep her on her toes for sure. With her expertise in this episode, we are going to be discussing the ASRM guidelines, so Assisted Reproductive Medicine Guidelines. They vary for surrogates as well as for potential egg donors, um, and these are kind of the guidelines that are used in a screening process. And we go more in depth uh, to that. We don't list them. So um, go ahead and um, I'll make sure that they are in the show notes just as a quick reference, um, or at least a link to the um, ASRM guidelines website. Um, So that way you can go and look um, into them in particular. And we don't necessarily go all into the medical aspect of it, but we're really in looking at why they're important, why they're there, what clinics are looking for, um, you know, just just all of that. So please enjoy uh, listening to Angela Perez. Me, you, and who? Who knew it would take more than two people to have a baby? In a world where infertility is no longer a taboo topic, this podcast will take you through all the different aspects of surrogacy and egg donation, through the lens of many who walk this journey in different ways. My name is Whitney Hall, and I am a two-time surrogate, now turned surrogacy coordinator for Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, the very agency I used when I chose to carry for two amazing families. With this podcast, it is our goal to help guide and support you as you learn about what it takes to grow a family in an alternative way, as well as hear inspiring and beautiful stories of how this path has changed lives forever. We can't wait for you to hear about just one more way happy families are created every day. Did you know you wanted to be in assisted reproductive technology or like, how did you get there? No. So I knew that I wanted to do women's health. Like I knew when I, so I kind of had a career change. Well, a, a rechange, I guess, back in my late thirties. Um, so when I was younger, like fresh out of high school, I was going to school, um, Mm -hmm. in the medical field. And then I had my oldest daughter, Mackenzie, and you, you got to do what you got to do. Right. I was a single single mom at the time. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to put this on hold. And I did what paid the bills. And so um, I was working at a lumber yard and then just kind of worked my way up in the lumber yard, became an office and dispatch manager um, for the lumber yard that I was working for. And um, decide, I knew someday, like someday I was going to get to be able to go back into the medical field. And so I did, um, I went and got my medical assistant license and I just knew that I wanted to do women's health. And so I was really, you know, I was trying to look for like an OBGYN office or something like that when I finished mm-hmm. school that I could do my externship with. Cause that's kind of part of it to get your certification. Um, and you know, get hired. And I saw an opening um, and it happened to be for a fertility clinic. And I was like, that would be so cool. 
Like I yeah. didn't even know how cool it would be, but just, I thought, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. And something totally different, like still women's health, like I'm still helping sure. women. And so I applied and thank God they took a chance with me. They were actually looking specifically for someone that was green, that did not have experience because they wanted somebody that they could literally train from the ground up. Sure. Um, and so that was just a blessing for me. <laughs> um, and the rest is kind of history. <laughs> so, Oh my gosh, look at the timing of that. So how far between, or what was, I guess, the different or the timeline of, you know, you have Mackenzie, you're working in the lumberyard to when you were able to go back to school and, and all of that. 16 years. Oh, wow. Right. So, well, in the meantime of that, you know, like I remarried or, you know, sure. um, married, had another daughter, um, you know, so then I was kind of waiting for her to get a little bit more self-sufficient. Sure, we're living um, life. And, you know, we just had some financial goals we were trying to meet before, you know, I would go such, you know, a certain amount of time with Mm -hmm. less income and things like that. And so it was about 16 years from, from when I had my daughter to being able to go back to school and, and and do that. And so you, I mean, you, like you said, you just were kind of looking at women's health in general. So really Mm -hmm. the fertility, you know, just world was not even on your radar until that job option. No, I really didn't know a whole lot about it. I mean, I'd heard things and, you know, I knew what it was. Uh Um, but, and I just thought scientifically speaking, I thought it was just the coolest thing in the world. Right. Like I just thought, Oh my God, this is so cool. Um, and then once I started working in it, it was just like, this is it. Like, I don't think I could do anything else. And I've been in it since I have not, not been in it <laughs> since yeah, I started. Yeah, no, absolutely. So like, fre- I mean, so whenever you did actually get your license and everything, you've, you've done only fertility mm-hmm. medical Correct. medicine. Correct. Oh my gosh. How awesome. I don't think I knew that. I, for some reason, I think I feel like a lot of people come from different, you know, other worlds of the medical field and then they get to, to this. So that's really neat that like fresh out of the gates, this has been like your yeah. jam. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So fun. Okay. So from, so as you were in the fertility clinic, how often would you say, you know, were you working with gestational carriers and egg donors and, you know, kind of third party? Um, I I would say the first probably maybe first two or three years, not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then after that, every day. Every day. Yes. Yeah. Do you think it was just became more common or do you think that was, I mean, it's, it, I think it became more common. Um, I actually, um, had switched clinics, mm-hmm. um, from where I was working in the second clinic that I went to, they had pretty much the largest, um, third party department mm-hmm. in at least, well, most of all of Texas, but for sure in our metropolitan area. And so, um, it, it just, I mean, it was an everyday thing there. And I, yeah. I had, when I started with them, I was, you know, you got to pay your dues. And so I worked in the clinic setting, you know, drawing the blood and flipping the rooms and things like that. And then, um, and then moved into um, third party. I, I had coordinated cycles at the first clinic I went to, but not 
and some donor cycles, um, a few surrogate cycles. It just wasn't as much as the second clinic that I went to work for. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was all the time. And I just went straight into that department with third party. And so, um, and I was there for years and loved it um, until I came to the agency. (laughs) Yay. Yes. For those who don't know, you now work for Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions as an egg donor coordinator. Yes. in kind of that, that happy land. Um, but so obviously as you were learning about, you know, third party and everything, one of the main, I guess, uh, screening tools that everybody Mm -hmm. uses and by everybody, I mean, clinics and thus, you know, agencies and those who choose to do independent matches and things like that is the ASRM guidelines, which, okay. Assisted medical Wait, 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 hold on. A-S, Assisted Reproductive Medicine. Hold, say it for me. Yep. No, you're right. Okay. <laughs> reproductive Medicine, yes. Yes. Okay. So Assisted Reproductive Medicine Guidelines. Okay. Oh, so yeah. tell me, and those are just kind of like basically a list of you have to meet these qualifications and, you know, anybody can go online and look up ASRM guidelines and correct. You Google it, it'll pop up. You can get right to their website. Super easy. So I guess kind of what are they and not, you don't need, certainly don't need to list them all. (laughs) Please listeners go, go online. (laughs) This is the one time where I say, go to Dr. Google. Um, (laughs) But kind of like, what are kind of like the main ones and why are they used? What, like, what is so important about them? So you know, it, when I started in fertility, it was kind of, you know, I was like, okay, what is this? You know? And, Mm -hmm. and I kind of thought it was like the law, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it says that, you know, has to be like, you know, it's black and white. There is no gray area. It's very black and white, which is not really the case. Um, I like to think of it like, um, you, you have this, um, you know, board of members and it's, you know, made up of people from, um, you know, reproductive endocrinologists and just different professionals in the fertility world that say, basically, this is what your guideline should be. If mm-hmm. you want to be stricter, that's great. But at the bare minimum, this should be your requirement when approving, you know, an egg donor or a surrogate, um, you know, to go through fertility treatments. Um, it's It's really to help, I feel like, to help um, physicians kind of navigate that and kind of like, okay, well, this is the guideline. It gives me something to go by. It's a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly some practices that, you know, waver on, uh, on a few items. Um, but the real strict, the more strict rules, you're going to see most clinics kind of go by the book because that is best practice. That's the guideline that's been set for them, you know, as best practice. What would you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. You know, and at the end of the day, everyone's goal throughout all of this, you know, from the clinic to the agency, we just, we want the intended parents to take home a healthy baby. We want the surrogate Mm -hmm. to have a happy, you know, a healthy, safe pregnancy. So some Mm -hmm. of these guidelines just help with you know, nothing is a given and nothing is a hundred percent guarantee, but they kind of help with, you know, making sure that we have set you up for the best success. 
sure, we're mitigating risk. That was the whole that's the whole thing. Yeah. Correct. Okay. No, that makes sense. So as far as so their guidelines, you whenever you first it was, you know, it was law, but they're mm-hmm. really guidelines and every clinic waivers. What would you say are some of the guidelines that tend to be, I guess, fluid for lack of a better word? Um, I think um BMI is, is one, there are some that are very by the book and it's Mm -hmm. nothing above 30. If you're 30.2, you got to get down. Um, you know, some, I've seen some clinics that will go up to a BMI of 32 for surrogates and allow that. Um, some are, you know, not, so that one's a little fluid. There is still kind of like that hard cutoff, which is for some clinics is 3132 they're like no yeah um you know that's probably the the biggest one um i know one of the big conversations that you have you know you see clinics have is one of the rules is to be a surrogate you cannot have had um more than 5 pregnancies mm-hmm. when you're applying um or more than 3 c sections um, most clinics are pretty strict on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one time I've seen a physician make a, um, like an exception to the rule, um, was for a sibling journey. So, gotcha. but it is still pretty, you know, and, and, and the, they were sat down, you know, given the risks. Um, but that's pr- a pretty hard you know, requirement, like, Mm -hmm. sorry, you've already had six pregnancies. We can't take you, you know, you can't be a surrogate. Sure. Sure. And that's just for the carrier's health in general. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That is correct. So going back to BMI, I mean, I know me personally, I feel as though BMI is kind of a antiquated measure of health, but what exactly are RE and clinics looking at with, with BMI? Like why, why is that such a thing? Yeah. Um, so there actually is, um, an article on, um, ASRM. It's kind of interesting that says that 12% of, um, infertility cases, um, can be linked back to, um, a woman's weight, either being underweight or Mm -hmm. overweight. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the things that you're worried about is, um, estrogen. Sure. So for women that are, um, that may have a really low BMI, their body may not be producing, um, enough estrogen and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to be put on estrogen. That's correct. But your body still has to be able to regulate the medication that we're giving you the supplement and create its own estrogen naturally as well. Um, so the flip side of that for some women that they have a higher BMI, um, they could be producing too much estrogen. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are actual studies on it. I know it's, you know, not a topic any woman ever wants to talk about. (laughs) Um, and you're like, you know, this is not, you know, it's not fair. Like I'm healthy. Um, And, and, you know, no one necessarily saying that, you know, somebody's not healthy if their BMI is 33 or 34. Um, uh, it's just, there is actual research on it that can link um, some fertility or, um, you know, issues becoming pregnant to a woman's um, BMI. 
I think I always thought that it was BMI and then, oh, we're concerned about potential gestational diabetes or things like that. I don't think I had any idea that it really actually more so had to do with the medication that you would, the IVF meds you're taking. Yeah, it can, it can do a number on, you know, there's so much being a woman, there's so many outside factors, different things that can affect our God hormone levels. levels. <laughs> um, and just, you know, add BMI to that list. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, that makes sense. So what would you say, so BMI is kind of a, a fluid one. Mm-hmm. Um, Number of pregnancies is pretty set in stone, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Are there any other guidelines that really are more guidelines versus strict law? Or does that really just vary? Um, it, it kind of varies by clinic, but I would say most of them are still pretty, pretty strict. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much kind of that's the it. law, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. There's not a whole lot fluid, um, especially when it comes to surrogacy, just because, I mean, you're carrying a life, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's not a whole lot fluid on that. Yeah. That make no, that makes a ton of sense. Is yeah. there, what would you say? So, it, you know, on, in the, in Facebook land, there's yeah. all kinds of, um, you know, a lot of people if they choose to do an independent match versus a, you know, using an agency or, or things like that. So people are finding different ways to match on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, I'm perusing in there and somebody said, I've never carried before. Like I'm, I'm not a mother. Okay. Um, I've never, you know, had a pregnancy, but I'd love to be a surrogate. And, you know, everyone jumps in there. Well, ASRM guidelines, you have to have carried a, you know, full-term healthy pregnancy. That's kind Mm -hmm. of the, that's like the main one. That's the big, like, hey, you have to at least have been successfully pregnant. Yes. And somebody said, I know of a clinic that will actually let you be a surrogate. And I, I just found that whole thing a very interesting. So what would you, I guess, maybe say to people as far as just, clinics or maybe people that you're trying to match with who are kind of trying to maybe not manipulate, but maybe skirt around or, you know, like that kind of thing. What would you look out for? You know, just, I mean, anything on that. Yeah. Um, I, I would be concerned. Um, I mean, the, the ASRM is there for a reason. The guidelines are there for a reason and they are to protect um, you know, the intended parents or to, you know, the surrogate, mm-hmm. it's, if somebody's kind of skirting around and just throwing, you know, reason and the rules out the window, then my mind's automatically going to go to, okay, what else are they skimping on? Mm. You know, my, that's where my mind would automatically go. Like, this is a huge, this is a big rule. Right. And yeah. if they're not ob- abiding by the rules, <laughs> so to speak, like, <laughs> what other aspects are they going to kind of, you know, skirt around or bend the rules on that could affect, you know, if I'm the intended parent that could affect my surrogate from, you know, becoming pregnant or having, you know, healthy pregnancy, things like that. So mm-hmm. I would be very leery mm-hmm. um, of, you know, clinics that are just not going by ASRM guidelines at all. No, that makes a ton of sense. 
that makes a ton of sense. And that's just good follow-up in general. And yeah. Yes. Okay. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have, I mean, so in donor land, there's obviously mm-hmm. different ASRM guidelines versus in surrogacy land, mm-hmm. um, which is wonderful and fantastic. And again, this is the one time I'll say, go to Dr. Google to look. This <laughs> um how did you know do you feel as though there's a difference between um you know maybe intended parents who are working directly with a clinic to find you know a donor versus with an agency you know as far as guidelines are concerned do you like you know kind of are are guidelines even really a thing I guess as people are searching for a donor I don't know if that question makes sense yeah no 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 (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, there are still, you know, um, guidelines. Um, A lot of the guidelines kind of come around with the donor, um, the FDA law. Ah. Um, When someone's donating tissue, whether it be an egg donor, sperm donor, um, the FDA comes into play. They have their own set of rules and regulations. Those you don't skirt. Nope. FDA law is FDA law. It can prohibit you from using um, that tissue. Mm-hmm. So, um, for instance, you have, you know, let's say you have intended parents that they're going to use an egg donor to create embryos. The intended mom fully plans on carrying a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. FDA says, you know, certain testing has to be done. It has to be done during certain timing of the cycle, mm-hmm. um, for those embryos to be considered quote unquote eligible to be transferred into another person. Um, you know, and 10 moms like, okay, I'm ready to go. Unfortunately, down the road, she's done several transfers. She finds she can't carry. She then needs to go the route of using a gestational carrier. Okay. Well, now you have, basically you have an embryo that the tissue makeup of that embryo is from people that that surrogate is not sexually intimate with. They need to be FDA compliant embryos to be used in a surrogate. Uh, so it's a whole different ballgame when you're talking about, you know, an egg donor or a sperm donor. Um, and some of the, a, a lot of the ASRM guidelines revolve around what the FDA law is. So mm-hmm. it is more of a law than a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. That <laughs> makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's, and again, all of this is in place to protect everybody who's Absolutely. involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what would you say to intended parents or gestational carriers or even egg donors as they're kind of exploring what this looks like for them and when they are doing their research and and things like that? What would kind of be your big, like, keep this in mind? Yeah. Um, So, you know, big thing, like you said, you know, do, do your research, you know, anyone can go to ASRM, kind of know what the recommendations are, what the rules kind of regulations are, make sure you're kind of familiar with that. So, you know, going in, mm-hmm. um, patients will go a long <laughs> way, um, in this, you know, there is no standard, there is no normal, um, there might be an average timeline, but every case, every situation is different. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, don't try to rush things, just you know, things will happen, obviously, of course, stay on top of things, make sure you're doing your due diligence. Um, But 
this process really does require a lot of just grace and patience for all parties, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're an intended parent, whether you're an egg donor, whether you're a surrogate, um, you know, and it is an emotional journey for everyone involved, but it is so rewarding. It's so yeah. worth it when you get to that final goal, which is a healthy baby. Oh, gosh, it's yeah. worth all, all the time it took. It's worth all the frustration and the tears um, and the shots. <laughs> um, oh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is, it truly is worth it. Um, so just have some patience, have some grace with yourself. Um, you may have days that you just feel like the world is going to end and you need a good cry and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but just keep your eye on that end goal. It yeah. will happen. It will happen. Oh, I love that. So going back to your clinic days with all that in mind, did you have like, what was kind of your favorite part of the job? Did you have like a favorite case or, you know, just anything like that? Yeah. So I think, um, I think the first time, like I thought it was so cool, you know, the science side of it and just, this is so cool that, you know, in today's world that this is possible. But I think the first time that it really like hit me, like what we do makes a difference. The first time I had, I was able to go into um, an OB ultrasound with an intended parent of mine and I got to hear the heartbeat with her. Like it was truly the most rewarding thing. It's the best sound in the world. Um, And I still, to this day, get goosebumps whenever I hear an ultrasound. Um, It is, it is truly like in that moment, it's like, this is why we do what we do. This is why, you know, the, there are those guidelines there. This is, you know, why it can take some time. Um, it, It, it's for that moment. It's yeah. for that moment. And then when they get to bring home a healthy baby and they send me pictures of oh. their baby, like it's, it's the best feeling in the world. It is, it is yeah. amazing. I love, 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 love that my job. <laughs> oh, I love, yeah. The pictures are definitely the best. It feels after yes. going through all of it, it's like, oh, and look at that all for you, you little nugget. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love that. Has there been, you know, obviously there's ups and downs. What would you say is, has kind of been the, Oh man, today was a day. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, in the clinic, like the nurses, we're the ones that are typically making that phone call with a positive pregnancy test. You've had a negative pregnancy test. Um, that's when, you know, it's, it's an emotional day, you know, you keep it, you know, like plenty of time, you keep it together while you're on the phone with the patient, Uh (laughs) while you're talking to them in person. Um, and then there's some days that you're driving home crying because I had to give two negative, you know, pregnancy test results, or I had to tell somebody that unfortunately, you know, they were having a miscarriage. Those are the tough days. Mm -hmm. Um, but Unfortunately, it is part of the process and I just have to have my cry, you know, and have my little talk with myself, you know, get up and be strong the next day because my patients need me to be strong and be there for them. Um, And so I allow myself to feel it. And then, you know, I got, I got to keep going because I have more families to help too. Yeah. And I I need to help them too. Yeah. 
absolutely. It's heart work. A hundred percent is, which, you know, to try and mitigate all of those hard days, they have those guidelines to do our, everybody's best to just reduce all of that risk and, and, and that kind of thing. But it's not a perfect science. If it was, well, man. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. No, I totally hear you. I totally hear you. So to just completely, I mean, thank you again so much for your time, for your time and your expertise. No, no and um, I feel so blessed and honored to have you on the team. So I can call you with my, Angela, <laughs> this is happening. What do I do? Uh, so you were such an amazing resource. Thank you. At the time of recording, it is 1030 in the morning. I'm sitting here with my coffee. So my one final question to you what, you know, we all know I'm a coffee addict, but what was, what filled your cup this morning? Whether it's literally like me, mine is coffee or figuratively, what, what filled your cup this morning? So literally I am, I love the smell of coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker, but, and it's so horrible. And I know that this is so horrible for me, but on days that I need a little pick me up, Uh yes, ma'am. I have a Coke. Coca-Cola, yes. straight Coke, not Diet Coke, red can Coke. Yes, just just a OG. Coke. Or just Dr. Coke. Pepper. I mean, you know, I'm not going to turn down a Dr. Pepper either, but I just, with I need a little Texas bit of Texas girl showing her Texas roots with that yeah. Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so, so that's my, that's my little guilty pleasure that I, that I have um, for sure. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm glad your cup was filled today. Yes. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you. Thank you again for for doing this and sharing this. And, you know, I know we're going to probably be coming back again because there's more than just ASRM guidelines. There's all of the other things, the fun science part that you found so interesting. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You have just finished listening to an episode of Me, You, and Who. To find out more about Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, go to www.createahappyfamily.com.